for joining us for the Red View Blue View podcast, where two voices on opposite sides of the political aisle talk politics, current events, and social issues. This is Shelley. I'm an independent, progressive, and left-leaning with a pinch of fiscal conservatism. I think we should all engage in civil discourse with those who have different points of view. So let's get started. Listeners, please note that this episode was recorded in January 2020, and my good friend Caitlin, our original and wonderful conservative Republican voice, has stepped back from the podcast in 2020. So I'll be engaging in discussion with some other conservative guests. Stick with us and check it out. I know you'll enjoy. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Red View, Blue View podcast. This is Shelley. Today we're touching on a number of issues from Donald Trump's impeachment proceedings to the latest on the royal family. I am very fortunate today to be joined by a special guest, Matt Dunn, from the conservative radio show Backbone Radio, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeart. Podbean. Podbean. So if you type in Backbone Radio with Matt Dunn, you'll find it. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to start by briefly introducing yourself? And uh, I know you wanted to update our listeners today on the impeachment proceedings. So go well, ahead. Well, sure. And thank sure. you for joining And was me. I was I supposed to do the blue view or the red view today? I can do either one. Do you have a <laughs> preference on You're that? You're the best at the red view. Okay. Huh? All right. I'll have to go with the red today. But yeah, name is Matt Dunn. And I have hosted a radio show for many years on 710 AM KNUS, News Talk KNUS, right here in Denver. And it's a Sunday evening show from 5 to 8 p.m. And it's kind of a a hobby for me to be involved in political commentary. I practice dentistry by week, and I've practiced dentistry for about 20 years here in Denver, Colorado. And interestingly, the radio show I've been involved with and helped start back in 2004 so I guess that's about the 16-year mark of the radio program, and somehow or another, you know, year in, year out, it's been a nice balance to have a little hobby in the commentary world, and uh, I would say that as far as the radio show goes, I was one of the very first commentators. I could be the first commentator in radio who in the summer of 2015, even before Donald Trump came down the escalator, I said, if Donald Trump, if Donald Trump runs for the presidency, I expect him to win the election. This guy is going to win. Watch. This is the moment. I just felt it was the moment for somebody like Donald Trump to step in there and do really well. And sure enough, it happened. I took a lot of heat those first couple of years of talking about why I thought Trump was going to win. But by gosh, it sort of it sort of panned out. And um, it's one of those things where I think I got lucky and sensed something in the zeitgeist that was going to make that happen. But anyway, from there, comment some on local politics, a lot of national. I think another little claim to fame is I'm one of the first commentators to talk about this concept called the deep state, which I've been onto for many years, and I feel like that's something that is now on the tip of everybody's tongue. And when I first started saying that, you know, going back to 2015, 14, 2013, people would be like, "What are you talking? What, what do you mean deep state?" But now everybody sort of has an awareness of what that is, and we could bring that up as the program here goes on. But delighted to be here, and uh, we, we see you around the neighborhood and chance to just uh, visit a little here on a podcast. Thanks again, Matt, for joining us. And I, I hear that you, you're you a big fan of uh, President Trump. I, as you may know, think he's the worst president to uh, set foot in that office. Wow. So I know we have different views on the impeachment <laughs> proceedings. Tell me, uh, can, you, can you update our listeners on, on the latest? Well, 
It seems to me that the impeachment process started the day after Donald Trump got elected. There was a headline in the Washington Post, you know, about, hey, so next step is we're going to impeach this president. And there's all kinds of political officials on the left who are on record talking about impeachment. So this is one of the most longest telegraphed and choreographed punches in the history of politics, okay? And now here we are, what, uh, 10 months before an election, feeling like this impeachment process must go on. And for me, it's hard for me to even actually, frankly, take it seriously because I see no substance to it. I see no high crime. I see no misdemeanor, nothing even close to it. I notice that when you see Adam Schiff droning on in the current impeachment trial in the Senate, last night, there were 13 Democrat senators not present in the chamber, and there were 14 Republican senators not present in the chamber, so 27% of the Senate wasn't even there listening, and a significant percentage of the senators who were there I don't think were even awake. Um, Senator Warner, uh, <laughs> one of the prominent Democrats on the Senate Select Intelligence Committee, was sleeping for approaching a half an hour. He had his, his face buried in his hand and his eyes were closed. And so I don't know how seriously even the senators are taking this, and that includes Democrats as well. So I would just say that my sense of the matter is it's a, uh, it's a political ploy managed by Adam Schiff, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, even our own local Jason Crow, who I think uh, is going to find that this does not go over as well as he might think in his sixth congressional district here in the Denver suburbs. But it's a political ploy that in my view is it's backfiring, it's falling flat, it is seen as something, it's something of a joke by I think a large amount of the American people and I think that the people who should be like inspired by this and turned on by this and the people who are, you know, highly motivated to see Donald Trump, you know, go away <laughs> are really, I don't sense a passion or a, a, a real sense of what it is that President Trump has actually done wrong that merits him being removed from office. And so, I guess that's kind of a, a, a sort of an overview of yeah. how I'm looking at things. Let me tell you from my view how I would answer that question. First of all, I have to admit I agree with you that this there are some aspects of these proceedings that seem orchestrated or a long time coming. Uh, certainly, uh, they've been after President Trump his whole time in office. Of course, it is political. And I agree that there are many people in both houses not taking it seriously and probably lots of members of the public that uh, you know we're getting we're getting bored with it but i am always surprised to not hear from conservatives a willingness to address the issue itself and you said why 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 is this a serious thing i'm always shocked that conservatives aren't offended by the transcript the Ukra ukraine transcript here we have in a call with the leader of ukraine after having withheld military aid that was expected and needed that President Trump says to this Ukraine leader, you know, the Ukraine hasn't done enough for us lately. I need a favor. I want you to reopen an investigation into my political opponent. But did now, he I'm say not, that? Did, that's not what was said in the transcript. That did is you, what is said. No, he does not say he wants you to reopen uh, an investigation. Look into it to get back to the uh, to back but to the Biden the issue. That, and, and mind you, I'm not a Biden yeah. fan, so I won't You're defend him. Okay, I yeah. do not like Biden. I won't defend him. 
but, but, but is that why a would it either quote from the transcript? No, I can pull up the transcript and we'll get the the quote. I don't understand why conservatives or liberals or any American would want a sitting U.S. president to be allowed to ask a foreign nation for a personal favor that is helping the election. What a terrible precedent to set. I mean, had Obama done this, wouldn't you be all over this, Matt? Well. I guess I would address this this way. By the way, you mentioned that withholding of military aid, Ukraine got the aid. They got it on time. It was actually before the deadline, um, well beforehand. And the Obama administration flat out refused to give military aid to Ukraine. They sent over blankets and humanitarian items, but they, they refused military aid to Ukraine. And it was a lot more serious in Ukraine at that time because Russia had just invaded militarily. And so I would say Obama, if anyone is thinking that military aid is the essential for Ukraine, it would be the Obama administration who really dropped the ball on that. But they did get the aid. Anyway, but with Trump, the whistleblower. He, he had approved the aid. He was just withholding it for a, a few days prior to this call. Um, and Ukraine had no awareness of that whatsoever. That is documented that when President Trump talked to Zelensky in Ukraine on July 25th, that Zelensky had no idea that there was anything to do with military aid being held up by anything to do with American politics or Ukrainian corruption. And in fact, the day after that phone call, uh, Zelensky had met with different officials in the Trump administration, ambassador individuals, and had said that the call was fine. There was nothing the matter with that whatsoever. So he's on record there. And he's also gone on since that time to say that he felt no pressure. He felt no disconcertment from that phone call. I would say that the whistleblower presented his complaint and the whistleblower are we allowed to say the name Eric Charmella around here or is that one thing that's like verboten anyway the mainstream media does sort of tie that up there is no statute that says a whistleblower has to remain anonymous in fact it's the other way around uh, somebody who is accused needs to be able to have the chance to face their accuser and President Trump would need to be able to face Eric Charmella I think in the out there in the open but it's interesting that the Charmella an original whistleblower complaint characterization of that phone call was rather different than the actual contents of the transcript of the phone call which President Trump I do think surprised many individuals by actually releasing the transcript. Right and I'm so. looking at the transcript Matt it, it does uh, it starts with a congratulatory phone call and then it goes on to say we do a lot for the Ukraine we spend mm -hmm. a lot of effort and this is President Trump a lot of time much more than other countries, he goes on to say. And he says, quote, I wouldn't say that it's reciprocal necessarily because things are happening that are not good, but the United States has been very good to Ukraine, end quote. So he's saying there, you're, you're behind in uh, what you're doing for us. And then he goes on to say, quote, I would like you to do us a favor though, because our country has been through a lot and Ukraine knows a lot about it. And then he goes on to ask him to look into CrowdStrike, uh, the server situation, and uh, the Mueller investigation, and then they go into uh, the removal of the prosecutor that was... Shokin, Victor Shokin. Yep. Uh, the, the one that Joe Biden loudly called an SOB and exactly. withheld the billion dollars in foreign aid, or was it which, loan guarantees? Which, by the way, yeah. I think Biden, if if that happens, should be prosecuted for it. Like I say, I'm not going to stand up for Biden here. But what, the, what President Trump is is saying here is, I want you to look into that again, Joe Biden's son, he's asking for his help. Here's the rest of that quote, Matt. There's a lot of, this is President Trump, there's a lot of talk about Biden's son. 
that Biden stopped the prosecution. And a lot of people want to find out about that. So whatever you can do with the attorney general would be, would be great. And they go into, uh, the president of Ukraine mentions that Rudy Giuliani has already been in contact with him about this and he's already working with him and is happy to do so. Pres uh, Mr. Giuliani being Trump's personal lawyer who was working on the same, the same thing and that is to uncover dirt on Biden. But that said, Ukraine is known to be a cesspool of corruption. And just like we found out with Puerto Rico, we sent billions to Puerto Rico after that massive hurricane, as we rightly should have. And then we find billions of dollars of materials that were sent in aid in some warehouse, not yet distributed in Puerto Rico. And probably, in my hunch, the Puerto Rican political leaders were somehow finding a way to profit off of that by not hitting it out or maybe even selling that aid to people. So foreign aid, is, it's a very natural, normal thing to want to have no corruption or minimize corruption in a place where we're sending foreign aid. So to me, so would you that, say that Biden running for office, running for the presidency means that um, if he was engaged in corruption, that that cannot be looked into? And I didn't hear Trump no, I'm say that for, you, know, like you I need say, to open it. He, Trump wasn't saying you need to open an investigation. And he did not tie it to military aid. You'll notice that the, the military aid thing, the quid pro quo, is nowhere in that transcript. No, just that, and that he was what caught it right the whistleblower before. and Adam Schiff by surprise when that transcript was released there was no quid pro quo. You you can It is quid pro quo. You can strain quo. to read it's into it. It's the same as uh, as as a mafia quid pro quo would be which is hey, I need you to do me this favor and you'll be real much happier if if you do it if you know what I mean. And uh, that's exactly what Trump was doing on this call. I think it's very clear he's asking for a favor. He had withheld the, the military aid before the call. Even ha had he not done that. He's he's asking for a favor. He's using his position of power, one of the impeachment articles is abuse of power, right? He's using his position of power to get really a personal favor. This is not this is not for the benefit of the United States. This is for the election because at the time he saw Joe Biden as his biggest rival in the election. This is for him personally to get dirt on his political opponent. Why would we want, why would conservatives or liberals, why would anyone, why would anyone want Obama doing this? Why would anyone want the United States president who should, by the way, be working on the things that he said he would do that, you know, you wanted him to do and you voted for him, why should he be spending his time and using his power to engage in these types of conversations with foreign powers? Well, I just don't think that's borne out in the transcript and uh, the concept of the military aid being withheld was not something that was even on the radar of the Ukrainian president um, or anybody else over there as, as they have said publicly multiple times. I, I could see why if you're of a disposition to want to see Trump go away, that you could you could grab that and run with it. I, I certainly do see that, but I think it's stretching, and I think it is a it's a normal procedure for for presidents to to look at corruption in areas where we are giving gigantic quantities of foreign aid. And with Joe Biden on the record like that, and Hunter Biden being on the board of Burisma, which is one of those legendarily corrupt corporations on the planet. I think that you could you could say that that is just a, a very normal conversation to have, and by the way, there were multiple articles like even in Politico.com uh, describing Ukraine efforts to meddle in the 2016 election, and that's uh, in a few uh, London England papers and a few others where that was common knowledge. And it's interesting that Politico is dropping that all down the memory hole and pretending like those long articles did not exist describing Ukraine meddling in the 2016 election on behalf of Hillary Clinton, which is very interesting. 
So definitely it was an issue and Trump was aware of it. Do you have complaints about the procedure that's taken place in Congress on impeachment? Well, Adam Schiff had a underground bunker in which he denied Republicans any witnesses they wanted, denied President Trump witnesses he wanted to have down there and uh, did not allow President Trump's attorneys down there to represent him. And that's, uh, you want to talk about unfair. I mean, they're, they're over there talking about how the Senate is unfair in some way, and it, 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 it seems to me that that's getting to be pretty much the height of uh, <laughs> hypocrisy there to say that uh, anything is unfair about this when uh, Adam Schiff ran what I would say is a monumentally unfair process leading up to this. And he was like shushing witnesses and he was not letting people finish their statements and he was coaching witnesses and he was coaching Vindman <laughs> of all things, which is pretty amazing to me. So I've, I've read that argument a lot in, from conservative uh, news sources, uh, this sort of due process that Trump wasn't afforded due process in the House. And I, I can't understand it for a couple of reasons. One, the Constitution says what it says about impeachment, and I, for, as far as I can read in the Constitution, nothing has happened that is contrary to what the Constitution says is supposed to happen with respect to impeachment proceedings. Secondly, you know, you mentioned that he didn't have a lawyer. I mean, this is this is not a criminal proceeding, even in a grand jury where there's a criminal, there's a defendant who's accused of criminal conduct. That defendant isn't allowed. Uh, their attorney or to confront witnesses or to even, I mean, the proceedings go on in secret. And, and from those proceedings, the defendant then goes to trial um, and that's how, and, that, and that's a criminal defendant. So that's someone who could lose their life or their liberty. Whereas President Trump, the most he can lose here is his job. So I'm not, I'm not hearing the, the due process, you know, that there was any, any due process violation that took place in the house that do you have no qualms about that, about uh, Adam Schiff denying uh, witnesses that they thought would be helpful to have in there and get their information, at least on the record? The, the trial is supposed to happen in the Senate, and that's what will happen next. And, uh, and I'm curious to hear what you okay. think about whether you're concerned with uh, Justice Roberts running the trial in the Senate. That's where the trial happens. In the House, it was to improve, approve the articles of, of impeachment. I do think Nancy Pelosi was slow to have the vote. Um, she's, I'm, I'm not a big fan of hers either. But there was nothing that struck me as... Um, you know, any sort of due process violation. And, I'm not, and like I say, I'm what not even this? sure that um, Trump is, should be afforded Inspector, due process. Inspector uh, General for the Intelligence Committee, a guy named Michael Atkinson, went into that Schiff bunker and did give testimony down there. And there's been a big controversy over the paperwork that was altered by the whistleblower working with Atkinson. They changed some, some things about those forms, which are very interesting, very striking about the need to have first-hand information and so forth if you are a whistleblower rather than second-hand. And he was all second-hand, third-hand, or fourth-hand. So they changed the forms in that. Eckerson came down there and equivocated on what was up with those forms, a little suspicious, and then he goes down and testifies in the shift bunker and then they still haven't released what Atkinson said to the public. It's the only thing that they have not released to the public. Why does Schiff not release that? And why is Schiff not coming clean about his contacts or his own staffer's contacts with the whistleblower, who in my view is Eric Charmella, before the whistleblower complaint was filed? Very I, I big am a, deal. I am and a big it, it fan of non-transparency from Adam Schiff. Yeah, I'm a big fan of all these proceedings being public and that the public should be able to uh, to have access to them. Matt, let's move on to our next topic. Sure. The Democratic candidates. So Matt, I'm curious to know if there's any of them 
if you were willing to not vote for Trump, which I know you're going to vote for Trump, <laughs> but if that were not the case, if you had to vote for one of these dumb candidates, if there's any one of them that's still left in the race that you like. I would say that if Tulsi Gabbard is still in the race, and I believe she is, that she might be somebody that I at least would respect some of her foreign policy views. And it is interesting that, you know, she is, uh, you know, known to be somewhat anti-war. She uh, military veteran herself. And good old Hillary Clinton stepped up to accuse her of being uh, a Putin stooge, uh, basically essentially working for Russia, like a bot or something. And it, I think, helps undermine that entire Russian collusion charge we've lived with in this country for the past three years. If they throw it out, even at Tulsi Gabbard, not just Donald Trump, it tells you what a sham, in my opinion, that entire thing is. And Mueller did come up with a big, gigantic goose egg at the end of 675 days of investigating Russian collusion. It was a zilch. And they're still doing it. They're throwing it at Tulsi Gabbard. Anyway, I, agree I, that, I got diverted. I but, agree but with you that Hillary I, should not have done that to Tulsi <laughs> Gabbard. And I agree with you that Tulsi Gabbard is a great candidate. I like her a lot. I think we both agree our country should be intervening less frequently with its military, maybe spending less on its military, and uh, engaging in fewer military conflicts all over the world. Yeah. Military and industrial com complex, uh, Eisenhower's words of wisdom and advice to the nation was spot on more than we had any idea when he left office. And he was the person who knew and was in a position to say that. I would say that, you know, foreign policy as run by uh, Obama, George W. Bush, Clinton's has been a disaster. The State Department establishment, I think, are clueless, completely out of touch with <laughs> this country, its origins, its heritage, and what it should be doing on the national stage. And in my view, Trump is doing a lot better job. No more endless, ridiculous wars are going on. Um, people are concerned about Iran, but I don't see that heading in that direction, which is nice. But Although sorry, sorry I diverted send, you here. But. I think Trump did send 3,500 troops. I don't know if Tulsi Gabbard would have, but I agree with you. She is anti-military yeah. inter intervention. She is anti-military uh, spending, and, and I like her. I like her, too. I'm concerned that she can't win the nomination. Right. Oh, but she's otherwise, being attacked I, I like her quite By the a mainstream bit. media, by the Democrat establishment. They can't stand her, which I think is too bad. Um, but uh, she's, yeah, she's, you know, very, I think she's got some charisma. But just to summarize... I don't see any talent on these Democrat platforms, on these stages. I really don't. And some Democrat commentator, mainstream media, called it a bowl of cold oatmeal to watch that last Democratic debate. Joe Biden, I think, has uh, gone way around the bend. His, he can't complete a sentence at this point in time. Bernie Sanders, there's some things about him that he used to say. I think he used to be more of a pro-sovereignty. Um, he used to be more opposed to illegal immigration, which is interesting. He has since dropped that to be more appealing to more of the Democrat base, I think. And I think he's actually maybe hurting himself by doing that. Um, Cory Booker, I guess, he's gone. Kamala Harris is gone. Zero talent, frankly, uh, in those departments. Um, who else is... Uh, Mayor Warren. Pete. Elizabeth Warren. Mayor Pete. Elizabeth Warren, I think, is uh, very awkward, very ungainly. She's uh, extremely dishonest, and it's not just uh, you know her claims about her Native American heritage, but this whole flap with Bernie this past week about she accuses Bernie of having told her once that a woman could not win the presidency. That seems choreographed stage. There's no way Bernie Sanders would have said that to her. I do see the Democrats in a little bit of a pickle here. I don't see that there is a candidate that I think could reasonably have a hope of even winning 10 states against Donald Trump right now. 
And so a lot of people, at least in the conservative world, are talking about, could Hillary Clinton jump in? Could Michelle Obama jump in? Will there be a late entrant into this bowl of cold oatmeal that has Democrats are quite despondent, I think. And this is a question I'd like to ask you. Do you see anybody out there that you, you think very highly of, that you feel like this an emotional attachment to would crawl over broken glass to vote for, or who you could envision being successful at this point. I I envision that Bernie Sanders could beat Donald Trump. In fact, he beats Donald Trump in all of the major polls that I've seen, the two of of them going head to head. He has a tremendous amount of support, as you know, from the last election. But it's interesting what you just said about him. He also has a lot in common with Donald Trump and the types of things that people voted for Donald Trump. And that is, like we just talked about, um, let's get out of wars, let's not go to war. That's That's another part of Bernie's platform. This idea that we're all working harder here in America and not making enough for ends to meet. He has been consistent on that throughout his career. And I think that resonates a lot with all kinds of voters, including some Republican voters maybe, in, in or some conservative voters or some independents that lean conservative in, in a lot of the swing states. Those same type of voters are also often fans of health care, which is one of you know Bernie's issues. He wants to continue to uh, to to make healthcare accessible, um, <laughs> which but uh, but like I say, very popular amongst lots of lots of people in Middle America. But yeah, this idea that uh, the corporations and uh, large special interests are have sort of taken over our government and the American people are no longer you know being represented. I think that some of those same sentiments were felt by many Trump voters. Oh yeah. And I think that's what Bernie that's what Bernie has stood for his whole career. He's been very consistent with that and he's very tough and strong. So I think he could withstand sort of the powers that be if he did make it into office. Um, so I, I do think he could be Donald Trump and I think he would be a good, good president and, and wow. that's that's who I support. I don't think America is ready for the socialism that he espouses. He is definitely out of step with the mainstream of the culture. But I do respect him for having been something of an outsider for a long time. And I think that's something that we correspond on talking here, that I think the American political elite, the American political establishment, the barnacled bureaucrats that have been out in Washington, D.C. and have lived there forever and think that they own this country, they run this country, they're unelected positions of power, they have lost touch with the heartland. They have lost touch with the people of this nation, and they are scorned by huge swaths of the people of this nation. And that's how Donald Trump got elected. That's how somebody like Bernie Sanders, the Democrats can't keep him down. Hillary Clinton last week was saying, nobody likes Bernie Sanders. They're playing this stunt with Elizabeth Warren, as we talked about, against Bernie Sanders. His popularity stays steady and strong, but I view it as there's, there's a certain limit that he cannot surpass. And the polls I've seen show Trump beating all Democrat candidates, and he's pulling away even further as this impeachment (laughs) process has gone on. I've never actually thought that Bernie could actually win the nomination, but maybe it could happen. If anybody has passionate support, it might be for for him. I agree. I I think it would be for him. And uh, unfortunately, Conservatives have la- have used that s- the label socialist for Bernie, and I think, but you know, in any other context, if we were in Europe, sort of this European democratic uh, socialist platform, it wouldn't be a, a, a bad word. It wouldn't be such a negative right. connotation as it is here in America. I don't think it's it, it's accurate with respect to Bernie. I don't think it is in hmm. the pe- pejorative sense. Yes, he is definitely for the people, and would I I think work tirelessly for the people, all the people, including. 
uh, conservatives. So I, I trust he that he... did honeymoon he, in Moscow, if I recall. <laughs> hung out I, in Cuba a little bit along the way. I, I trust that he... But by the way, do you know what the good leftist corporate boards in this country will do to Bernie Sanders if he's the nominee? Oh, he that's why... He will be crushed. That's why crushed. I want someone strong. Oh. That's why I want someone strong in the office. I do but like Mayor Pete. Why do you say he was strong? But I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily. I mean, he think rolled he's strong over for Hillary Clinton in 2016. He let Hillary rig the election against him, and only he just, after she he won just the nomination. Took it. Only after she won the nomination. Yes, he went and supported her. I thought he and was. He was really. I was weak a fan about of that. his then. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, I voted for him in the primary, not not Hillary. Interesting. And, yeah. Uh, but yeah, after she won the nomination, there was a, a sense, and there would be again in this election that. You know, but before, before to, Hillary that, that won, we need to support the candidate so that Trump doesn't get elected. So do you remember I those understand debates, his position. Hillary, Bernie, and Bernie was pulling. He was holding back. He was so gentle and sweet and nice to Hillary Clinton in those debates that yeah. I thought he doesn't really want it. No, I, that's his he, personality. I, he's convinced. the same with Elizabeth Warren now and and the other candidates. He's really, not, he's not into. You don't see that as weak. No, I, I, he's not into throwing punches and being unethical and being unfair. He's got his platform. It's strong enough. He doesn't need to put everyone else down to win. He's got a, a strong following and, <laughs> and a lot of strong principles. Yeah. And, uh, and I think he's the strongest candidate as opposed to weak in any sense of the word. I could imagine him having for sure the most devoted followers, the, most, the people who would do anything to vote for that guy. I would just submit that it's far less than a majority of this country and he will encounter a headwind <laughs> uh, from his own party from the people on top of his own party that will be furious if he's the nominee well that's true in fact he, they would probably throw he, somebody else that's when maybe it's Michelle true that does he does not in. fit into the democrat yeah. the, the traditional democrat establishment uh, and so you know my background matt i am uh, registered unaffiliated i'm an independent sure. like one third of people in colorado I do lean far to the left, but there are independents, you know, in both directions. And I think uh, the growing number of, of independent voters in the United States is a sign in Colorado that we're, especially. we're all tired of, in yeah. both parties, uh, what you totally. referred to, the the establishment, the uh, special interests being being, being served and, and, uh, and our governors not really working toward what's in any of our best interests. Can so Bernie represents that, that yeah. too. The, the establishment, when any political establishment or entrenched ruling class starts to lose power, sees that its power is slipping away, they never give it up willingly and they fight like hell to hang on to it. And they get so mean, so vicious, so nasty. And I think Donald Trump has been on the receiving end of a ruling class who says, oh my gosh, we are losing this. Um, and Bernie Sanders has also been the recipient of that. And it will get more furious. The moment he is truly taken seriously, it will get more furious. And to see Hillary come out against him and to see Warren come out with that little stunt against him makes me think they're starting to take him seriously, which is kind of interesting. Right. But so much of the mainstream media is tied into that old guard establishment. And that mainstream media, um, that's where all their connections are. That's where their salaries come from. There's a handful of billionaires that run this media. And they will fight to the death, practically, to hold on to their power. And anybody who gets in the way of it gets in the way of a massive amount of fury. And I do think the ruling classes would actually put this country, they would try to like, create a civil war in this country before they would willingly and lawfully and constitutionally give up power. 
So that's like serious stuff going on here. I, I, I agree with you with respect to the media and, and the very bad influence they have on these elections, namely in the case of the Democrats, telling the public repeatedly, you have the media telling the public, <laughs> oh, so-and-so can't win, you know, Mayor Pete can't win, or Tulsi Gabbard can't win, and they just keep saying it enough until it becomes true. It's just a self-fulfilled prophecy, and, and that's how you get someone like Biden, who I don't think is in any way the best candidate, and I think, I don't know who does think he's the best candidate, but somehow he's still... You know, the media is still talking about He's him. He's ahead by eight so, still, the last poll I so saw the media in does, the Democrat field. does us all a disservice, and I would encourage uh, voters on the left not to listen to the media and vote for who they think is exactly. going to be the best Exactly. I think candidate. seeing through propaganda is an essential for being an, Amer an American today. You've got to set your mind free from the mainstream media propaganda. You can be left, you can be right, you can be center. You know, whatever your opinions are, you have to come up with them on your own. But you've got to blow through the major networks <clears throat> and the major cable stations, all of them, and I think to come to your own conclusions about what's going on. That, that's vital. And we are bombarded with our devices, our propaganda, social media. Everywhere we go, like never before, we are bathing in propaganda as a, as a civilization. And it's a lot of key string pullers that are controlling what is presented to us, and it's a vicious fight for what is presented to us, what is allowed to be presented to the American people, what is allowed to get into those like little segments on the nightly news on the major networks, you know? And I think uh, plowing through that is something that is happening uh, like never before, and I, I love that. We, we, we agree on that. Yeah. yeah we, agree, we agree that the, the media isn't doing a good job. I'm glad to hear um, that. Or at least yeah. the mainstream media and that and that uh, and that the public needs to, you know, read more things, yes. read deeper, look into the facts yes. and make your own decisions. Um, something we probably don't don't agree on that I know you wanted to talk about today is spygate, which is a term I I didn't even know that President Trump had done such a good job coining. Spygate. Yeah, tell, spy tell us gate. the latest in spite what that is and, and what the what the latest is in your Well, view. I'll give a summation of Spygate and it's something that I have spent a fair amount of time digging into and researching, and that is that President Trump, as a candidate, as a transition president, and as a president, was spied upon by his political opposition, by members of the deep state. And it's been documented, it's been proven, and that's what this Carter Page FISA business is all about. And it's more than just spying. There was an attempt to set up very various individuals in the Trump orbit, even heading into the election, like uh, Carter Page and Papadopoulos and others, to try to um, and get them incriminated on some reason to set up a Russian collusion hoax narrative. And I would submit that the Obama administration, going back to at least 2012, was illicitly spying on its political opposition. And this is documented by the queries in the NSA database. I think that the surveillance state that we live in is the greatest threat to democracy we could possibly have. And I do think this should be a majorly bipartisan concern that the left in the old days used to be suspicious of the FBI and the CIA, of Hoover and Dulles and the people that were running the CIA and the stunts they would pull. And that is, by the way, why Dwight David Eisenhower gave his farewell address talking about the military-industrial complex, because he did not trust people like Alan Dulles as part of that complex. The left has somehow lost that distrust of 
the spy agencies and of the capacities for surveillance we have in this country, it's overwhelming. And to have brought them to bear against political opposition, like against Donald Trump, is unconscionable. And drip by drip by drip by drip, we're getting more information come out on it. And it is horrifying, the things we are finding. The IG Horos report, which came out on December 9th, absolutely levels James Comey's FBI. 17 major violations of the FISA court procedure. 17. How do you even do that? 53 Woods procedure violations. Again, setting up a FISA court order to spy on somebody in the Trump orbit who was um, not even any longer with the Trump campaign, but then they kept renewing it four times. Yesterday, two of the FISA renewals were just pronounced to be illicitly obtained by the DOJ. So they set that up to spy on Team Trump, and when you get a Title I FISA surveillance um, order, it's proctological. You can go up, down, backwards, sideways with your microscope on everybody, three hops away that this individual interacted with. Massive surveillance on Team Trump as candidate and as president. This kind of thing should be horrifying to all Americans. To summarize, John Durham is uh, investigating, he's working with Attorney General Barr and he is investigating the origins of Spygate. Where did it come from that the left decided that they needed to, that the FBI needed to open an investigation into Donald Trump for ties to Russia? Where did that come from? What was the information that predicated that? Durham is on to, I think, a series of gold mines showing that there was no valid predication for any of that. It was a fraudulent setup from the start. And as far as the motivations as to why, sure, you want to try to take down or uh, defeat your political opposition, but there might have been a little bit more to it than that. Anyway, John Durham, you can see pictures of him. He's got this big, fiery-looking goatee. He looks like he just walked out of a Western movie, you know, and he just uh, finished uh, rounding up the bad guys in Dodge City. But his probe into the origins, again, the action is where the origins of Spygate are. His probe has expanded. It has become a criminal probe. We're finding this out drip by drip. He can impanel grand juries. He can compel testimony. Um, he is in communication with former NSA head Admiral Mike Rogers, who knows a lot about the abuse of the NSA database. He's the guy who originally blew the whistle on this. I could do a lot of commentary on that. But it seems to me that Durham is looking in all the right places as to how this whole thing got started in the first place. And by late spring, early summer, we should end up having some understanding of what he has found, what he has come up with, and I think if he is able to actually find out what really happened, he will find America's biggest political scandal that we have ever had in this country, maybe even more than any political scandal in the history of the globe, to see a prior administration use the intelligence community of it to spy on, to surveil, and to set up the incoming administration. I think we're about to find that, and I think that could be major fireworks heading into November 2020. Now, I've left out a lot of details. Some of this stuff gets very weedy with all that, and I cover that on my Backbone radio show, often on Sundays. But I think that's that's somewhat of an adequate summary of, of where we are on that. Well, I share your distrust, Matt, of spy agencies, although I'm surprised that, that you wouldn't apply that same logic to what we discussed previously with respect to Trump and 
asking for a favor from the Ukrainian government, I think equally distasteful and un-American. At any rate, I share, I, sh I share that distrust. The IG report that you referred to as leveling Comey, the way I understood that, it didn't level Comey at all. And on the contrary, what the IG report said was that there was no intentional misconduct, no gross, no, 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 willful, no. Uh, will, uh, <laughs> gross negligence in terms of the FISA warrants. Um, but it, as you point out, it did find irregularities. And I want to point out that the Justice Department, when you talk about Obama's administration spying, the Justice Department concluded in December that the FBI had an authorized purpose to begin investigating the Trump campaign in July 2016. And there was no evidence. Who concluded that? The Justice Department. There was no evidence that the decision. That? Uh, I don't recall. Well, there was what, no think... evidence that that was that 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 I was driven by political bias. And as as an American, and again, I would think that this would apply no matter what our our political lean, leanings. There was it was public information that uh, that the Russians were uh, hacking the. DNC server and releasing emails to the I public. I dispute that because CrowdStrike, CrowdStrike um, was setting up Russia on that. There's no truth to that. It, that, that never happened. That's my My, my understanding is that, yeah. that, that that's not even in dispute, that the Russians were involved in that. The Russians, tell me if you disagree with this, were definitely involved in a social media campaign that reached millions, tens of millions of Americans that was designed to divide us. That's left, the one thing the Mueller right. report found is that Russia spent like a few thousand dollars after the election, mostly um, on social media. That that is a, a total zero. Just for for Miller to spend like forty million dollars, six hundred seventy-five days to no, find there's a little social but, media. But is, my point is, is, is that is there, it's undisputed that I understand that Russia was involved in interfering with the election. Okay, now I'm not talking about and I, I President do Trump. That. I'm not. I'm not. I'm yeah. not. Uh, blaming President Trump right now. Oh, I understand. But, but but I think that that's undisputed, and and the the investigations so far have definitely found that. Um, there's also no question that his campaign manager Paul Manafort, Manafort, who has been criminally charged, was working at the time for foreign governments and nothing to that, do with Russia. Um, what he's indicted for has nothing to do with Russia. There were some some connections between Russia and and Paul Manafort, but he has you know he has he was um, not indicted for any of that. You've got twelve Russians who are indicted um, as as trying to interfere with and the election. They're in Russia. So, They'll never come here. And and then Mueller so, tried to prevent them from here, coming here to have their day in court because that was all a sham. But your position on this is exactly what confounds me about the conservatives on this issue. Why wouldn't you be concerned? Never mind the politics of it. Let's say it was, you know, Obama coming into office and not President Trump or President Trump in office uh, doing the, uh, whose FBI did the, fi the FISA warrants. Why wouldn't you be more concerned with foreign interference with our election than you are in the technicalities of the FISA warrants? And by the way, on that subject, FISA warrants, listeners, this is, we're talking about foreign espionage uh, warrants to, to spy on people sitting in government. The FISA court was established some after sometime after 9-11. After yeah. And what I read was that since 2013, they've denied only 12 warrants out of the 34,000 that have been requested. It's a rubber stamp. So do you really think that because James Comey's subordinate failed to include some disclaimer that you think was relevant on, say, the Steele dossier or uh, some some fact that you think was um, would, would have lent less credibility to the warrant itself. Well, how many Do you of those really 34, think that they would have then denied the warrant? Well, how many of those 34,000 
were requests to spy on a presidential campaign and the political opposition of the current party in power. Well, when, Zero. When it's never happened before. But when the allegation that is, is that Russia is interfering with the election every, right now. Every red flag why? should have been going off at everybody's head who had anything to do with that FISA court or signing any of those FISA renewals. And it is not even a close call. Like, well, not even. Oh, I but think one, it's, one thing real quick. it's at minimum a close call. In fact, um, the, the allegation that, just, just to declare, the, the allegation that Russia hacked the DNC server is, is absolutely not corroborated. And I would say it's even patently false. CrowdStrike, a, a vendor for the Democratic Party run by partisan leftists, supposedly examined the server. They wouldn't let the FBI even examine the DNC server. And they said that Russia had hacked the DNC server. And they won't let anyone else look at it. That you, is nowhere, nowhere near enough to go Someone on. Someone inside. Um, they say that the data speeds look like it was an inside job on okay. a thumb drive. Now, so you don't think um, Russia was involved in that at all? When um, the IG Horowitz report came out on December 9th, he said he did not find demonstrable admission of bias from people like Peter Strzok or McCabe or people involved in those. But he did not say he did not find bias either. So he was not saying there was no bias. He, he, he remained neutral on that. And when I.G. Horowitz originally came out and said that there was an adequate predication for them to start Spygate, to start the Trump-Russia investigation, immediately, right out of the gate, John Durham came forward and said, nope, I disagree with that. And I have evidence that you don't have Horowitz because you can't look into a lot of stuff. He disputed that, and Durham got right in Horowitz's face day one and went public with it, which is an extremely unusual step for Durham to take because he's never does things. He's very quiet. Right. He doesn't do interviews. For him to do that, he felt like he had to do it. The New York Times wrote a big expose about it, and that really rattled the New York Times and rattled the leftists. And ever since then, there's been a push to try to get Durham thrown off that case and well, tell him to stop doing his, his, his investigation. His credentials are very strong, and I would, oh, yeah. I would not say anything about John Durham's credentials. However, I, I do I do have some concern that he will be a voice now like William Barr or, or Fox News, where you just keep repeating. We just hear that there was no connection between Russia and the Trump campaign and that the, that, the, that the bigger problem is the spying itself. My point is the fact that Russia was interfering in the election at the time of the election was a legitimate concern. The FBI should have been investigating it and all, we as Americans would want the FBI to be on both sides, I think. Right. We, we should want the FBI to be investigating foreign interference in our election. And so to then go after the FBI and you know, for investigating a legitimate concern w between Trump's campaign and the Russians, or just the Russian Russian interference in the election is really what they were after, is taking the conspiracy theory, you know, element of this too far. Well, that's where I would say it was not a legitimate concern. There was nothing they had to go on. There was no Russian Trump collusion, none, and it, it has been gone over with an electron microscope by Mueller, unlimited budgets, nothing. I don't think and nothing. Not I don't think his 400 page report. Now, well, tell me exactly what was, was the Trump Russia nothing. collusion? What was it? Where was the collusion? Well, so that's that I'll give you that, that there's they, nothing. They haven't come, that Trump himself was responsible for colluding with the Russians and trying to engage their interference in the election, you're right. There hasn't been or a Or anyone a associated with Trump. Put, There's put nothing. That. Well, no, I disagree. I think that Who? several people in Trump's uh, campaign have been criminally charged, indicted, pled guilty. To do with Russia? Been, no. You know, been found Nothing guilty. to do with Russia. Zero. That, that's where the propaganda has been so thick and so bathing this country. 
empty. That you have to actually look, okay, now what exactly? And there's nothing. It's, it's a zero. And by the way, Russia interfered in 2016, 2012, 2008. And it's, why doesn't and, and, that bother you? Well, why why it, is that? See, why no, should no, that what, go What's bothersome is, is that ha you have to establish that Russia somehow interfered. First of all, there was nothing about Trump and Russia. And then you have to say, well, how was 2016 different than 2012, than 2008, 20? Every election, there's a little bit of interference. Every country does a little bit. And by even admitting that, then you say, well, see, this happened in 2016. But no. And it, it, it was not unprecedented. It, 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 it was not some like unusual thing. And you have to dig to understand that. And you have to sift through a huge amount of propaganda to understand that. But that, that is the case. I remember at the time during the election that Obama said almost nothing about it. It was not made public that there was this possibility that Trump was colluding. I don't think it was political bias. I think that it was a responsible thing to do for the FBI to be investigating Russian interference with or without Trump's collusion. Russian interference in the election. Now, where did they we get the as info? Americans, we want that. We where did the FBI that. get the info to start investigating? Well, are you going to say that the Steele dossier Steel dossier doesn't, doesn't doesn't meet your And the Steele dossier just got demolished by IG Horowitz. Just absolutely every limb pulled off of the Steele dossier. And if you look into that's, the construction of the I don't think that's steel, an accurate characterization. Oh, Steele dossier is a complete None zero. of it has been found to be Oh, that's the Rachel untrue. Maddow talking point. And uh, that is, none of it has found to be untrue. You have got to read the Some IG Horowitz report. Have no, been no, he went through multiple points of it not being true. Multiple. It is, no, no, no. What he is, went it through, it's a, it's a raw document that is just uh, witnesses, you know. Uh, Cohen did not go to Prague. Witness quotes, right? Uh, not true. Cohen did not go to Prague. That was not. You can go down any of a number of things. So there are dossier. several things in it that aren't confirmed, but They're there are several things in debunked. it that are confirmed. No, no, no. What, what is confirmed in the Steele dossier? Nothing. <laughs> Trump, some of Trump's connections to Russia. What? Well, he had business going on there. He had loans. He had financial ties. And he's standing in front of the American public telling us that he had no, nothing at all. Well, what were the financial ties? He didn't have any. Well, I think he does. No. Further on in the past, they, they explored a few, like uh, Trump Hotel in Moscow. But it, nothing ever happened with that. There, there, there was nothing with that. And the Steele dossier actually alleged that Carter Page was meeting with the number two man in Russia and was offered one third of the profits of Rosneft, the biggest corporation in Russia, which would have been a billion upon billion dollar bribe to Carter Page. Carter Page never talked to Igor Sechin. There was nothing to that. So you have to start to look, uh, how did this come about? Hillary Clinton paid for that Steele dossier to come about. Who is Steele? Who did he get his information from? And I submit to you, a lot of his information about, came from Stefan Halper. What about the indictment? Halper. What about the indictment of twelve officers of the Russian intelligence? That has nothing to do with the Steele dossier. The the indictments seem to corroborate uh, some of the information that you and I are arguing about in terms of what well, the Russians it, were involved in the leaks. That's separate from the Steele the dossier. But the um, the twelve Russians that were involved in some uh, peddling of social media out of Florida. Um, where, by the way, Steele thought there was a, a Russian consulate in Miami. That's another part of his, his things that he got wrong. There is no Russian consulate in Miami. And, what about, and, they, and they figured that out at the State Department before, before the FISA renewal. What about Roger Stone and his con contacts with Russia? That's not in the Steele dossier. But isn't that reason for it to be investigating the it, it, there's, Russian there's nothing interference that, with There's the nothing that touches Roger Stone and Russia. But... Uh, I'm not sure exactly what Roger Stone is in trouble for, but it's not specifically Russia, but it's something about what he said about his interactions with Julian Assange right, that and somehow the, have gotten him, but it's, it's still not a DNC, Russia thing. the DNC email yeah. leaks. 
So I, I will I will challenge you. Like if, if you actually dig into this Russia thing, you will be amazed at how much of a zero you come up with. And I disagree really with you to the, the extent that the, the investigations have already concluded that Russia did interfere and was interfering with our 2016 election. And, Your and, point, but, but no, which is well taken, and I say they didn't. is, well, but that's not what all of the investigations have concluded. Your point, which is well taken, is that they haven't pointed to Donald Trump as being directly involved, and that's fine. But in 2016, when the election was happening, I think it was a responsible thing for the FBI to be, be investigating Russian interference with the election. I don't believe it was politically motivated. Fair enough. But wait until you see what Durham has to say on that when he uh, produces all of his information. I would just say, hold an open mind on that. I will be looking be, forward be to it. Be prepared to be astonished. I will be looking forward to it. And that is one thing. It lets me know the mainstream media does not report on these details and does not give people a chance to have an adequate understanding of the dimensions of Spygate and what really went on with it. And there is still a tendency in our country to pretend that the Mueller goose egg never happened, that Mueller didn't cough up a zero. They're still pretending like Mueller is still investigating and he's still accurate. found stuff. I don't think that's accurate. His 400 pages did not cough up a zero. It just didn't it didn't in, it result in an indict criminal indictment of President Trump, but it did not cough up zero. Okay. At any rate, um, <laughs> next topic, Matt. I sent you an article. I'm curious to know how you feel about climate change. That's it's one of the issues that voters, I guess, are looking at in this election, and that people on the left are very concerned with. I sent you an article from the Washington Post that, that states that 2019 closed the hottest decade on record. Yes. So I'm wondering what your position is on climate change and whether action needs to be taken. 2019 apparently was the either the second hottest or the hottest year on record approaching a cel degree Celsius hotter than ever before. And um, I just don't think that, that that's the disputable. So had a very hot year last year. So are you one of the conservatives who denies that CO2 caused by humans is causing some of the global warming that we're seeing and is, is causing clim climate change and therefore needs to be addressed? No, I wouldn't put myself in that category. I do claim a high level of non-expertise on climate change issues. I have some family members that are scientists and that are very involved in that and I see the things they talk about and I sort of defer to what they say on that. Personally, However, I will just say that one thing that always surprises me is that when you see poll data on what are Americans most concerned about heading into an election, climate change is always way low, way low, even in the Democratic Party, which is kind of surprising. It's much higher in the Democratic Party than the Republican Party. But somehow or another, I think that issue has lost political traction in the past decade or two, and it might have been what once was called global warming was then uh, changed to climate change, and there's a, a Bloomberg author, I saw an article a week or two ago, was saying that we should probably change it back to global warming because people don't really care about climate change and it's kind of been confused. Right. And I have a cousin who actually was a PBS videographer and he was involved in many of the, some of the big documentaries that PBS did in the 70s and the 80s. And he went to Antarctica, and I believe this was in the early 80s, maybe the late 70s. And he went to Antarctica and did this big video uh, documentary, and it was all about how the next ice age is coming. And the models at that time said that, they, I don't know, hey, ice age, we're doomed, we're all going to freeze. And so, and he did the whole documentary on it. And I remember talking to him, and I was, and I was like, and, he, and he's like, now it's like the opposite. Now it's like global warming. And so I think the public is rather confused on this issue. And I don't know exactly where a practical solution would be 
Greta Thunberg, who we were just in Iceland, my wife and I, and we saw her on the cover of like every book and every magazine and newspaper in Iceland at the time. It was kind of interesting. But she says there should be no more immediately. We should halt all investment and extraction and production of fossil fuels in the world. And is that a practical sol solution to the current situation we're in? And I say that that I mean is going to be the kind of thing that it's it's not going to happen. No, should I, it happen, might be a different question. But it's 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 not going to happen. So where what what is your average person to do when you try to make sense of? And by the way, Glacier National Park, they had these huge signs up that said. These glaciers will have melted by the year 2020. And they put those up over a decade ago. And they just had to take them out because um, it didn't happen. The glaciers are still there. And they said, well, we're taking these signs out because the models changed. We were given these forecasts by the US Geological Survey that said that these are gonna be melted by 2020, but then the models changed, so now we're taking the signs out. I mean, there's a, there's a, the models change. So what do you do with the models change? You know what I mean? Right. And so, and, and what would be a good way to, have people be when when, you, when this stuff gets political, I think it gets it gets very confusing for your average individual, um, who I claim to be one of, and so uh, I don't claim to have solutions on this or have have really anything of answering uh, anything useful to say on it. So. I, I agree that it's a shame it's become political, and uh, I also don't have the solutions. I think probably you know one of our intelligent third grade daughters might be the one someday that comes up with some kind of solution. Yeah. It, it won't be me and you. But I do worry about, because it has become political, I do worry about uh, disinformation. And you know, you mentioned the Ice Age and, and that the predictions have changed, which is true. Um, I do worry about the unwillingness to acknowledge the scientific fact that the Earth is warming mostly because of CO2 that humans uh, are emitting. And so so if we could just agree to acknowledge that fact, then maybe you know our kids will be free to come up with better solutions than we can. But, uh, and I, I agree with you that stopping all fossil fuel production right now is not the solution because we don't have adequate solar technology yet. Uh, I hope we will have, we don't have a, another answer yet. I hope our kids will come up with something. But to just acknowledge the fact that the Earth is warming because we've polluted, you know, so much into the atmosphere, and the sun comes in, warms the earth. It causes weather changes that we've seen with our own eyes, and so regardless of the urgency and when the glaciers will melt, I think it's important to to acknowledge uh, acknowledge the existence of global warming and, and human contribution to it. Yeah, I would agree with that. That uh, what is the degree of the human contribution? That is where I wouldn't even be able to tell you. It's got to be some. Could it be? significant or could it fall into the realm of not significant? I couldn't tell you on that. But one thing I would say, I was in China not too long ago traveling around and I was astounded by the awful environmental conditions around Beijing, around Shanghai. Took a train from Beijing to Shanghai and the smog cloud never lifted exactly. for hundreds of miles. And I mean the air does not smell good, the factories are cranking around the clock. This gets us back to Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the first. Wait, before you go back to Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the first American president to stand up to China and to try to revitalize the American manufacturing base. If a massive source 
of the pollution problems we have in this world comes out of China, which is essentially the manufacturing center powerhouse of the world. And they have no regulations. They have yeah. no environmental concern whatsoever. It's completely corrupt. They do whatever the heck they want to do, and they pump out the waste right out into the back of the factory. Yeah. If we could manufacture more here, or more first world manufacturing with regulations and codes and standards, then that would at least be a positive. I would think. And so good old Trump, he's doing that. I agree with you. I want to give him a big high five for that. I do. I agree that <laughs> I agree that all trade negotiations should include environmental protections and we shouldn't be and, and that we should not let companies evade the positive environmental and labor protections that we've achieved in this country. To do that it has and to be so, first world, I would say, I would submit. So uh, yeah, so I agree with you there. But I don't understand how having made a trip like that and you when you're personally experience the smog, the CO2, yeah. and then the effect of it, and what we know about the greenhouse effect as as a scientific you know, element where sun comes in and then gets trapped up by all that and therefore warms the, uh, the earth in this case. I don't understand the uncertainty with you know, a willingness to say it's mostly humans that have created this and that CO2 yeah. needs to be addressed specifically. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant. There's, there's certainly a contribution to how much is it. But then you factor in like, you know, volcanoes go, and then that contributes like... Volcanoes contribute some uh, tiny fraction e of e what human CO2 contributes. In terms CO2 of uh, like contributes. global history, you know, what, 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 is, what does that amount to? And then, and the, you know, but then the, the models change like on a dime. And it's, it's hard to make public policy decisions when, when the models keep just like whipping all over the place. Sure, you have to take your signs down. I mean, well, <laughs> I agree. You have to take the signs down. But uh, you know from looking at the charts that since the Industrial Revolution, since we started emitting all of the CO2 into the air, that the, the, the global history, all the recorded data of the Earth, you know, goes from you know, sort of this relatively low spot on the graph and then shoots up in the last 50, you know, years or so with... Yeah, the data and, and that so, goes to so 1880. That should, that should show yeah. us that it's the CO2 that we're emitting. I mean, there should be no question about that. And I think the science is clear on that. So so I worry about the hesitancy there. Fair enough. It might be a solution to let, let's all convert to being Amish and and live that way. Well, and, uh, I, and I, I actually would probably we, go for we that. Don't, we I, don't I have would, to come I up with a solution, I would do that like, today, frankly. So that's the thing. <laughs> I think people worry so much about what the solution is and how it's going to affect yeah. our lives, which I worry too. Um, nobody wants, uh, we, we don't want a carbon tax. You and I would probably agree on a bunch of solutions that we don't want. But to just acknowledge the problem, I think, is really important. I would worry that a carbon tax would end up empowering another bureaucracy or another sort of yeah. global elite, and then what would they do with that? Um, I agree. But the, you know, the trade-off there is maybe, you know, what level of freedom needs to be constricted from the American people um, for this over... And what, what, and about, I a, what about a control that would be handed to some of these, like, commissars that are, like, policing the climate? Those are at least questions to be... Concerned Those about. are concerns that I hear coming from a lot of conservatives, and I and I don't think any liberals, certainly I, wouldn't condone any of those solutions that would take away any of our freedoms. I think that those fears might be misguided. Again, it's going to be the next generation that figures out some, hopefully, solutions to the problem that both you and I agree on. It's just uh, it's just the the issue of agreeing that there is a problem. Uh, before we get to the solution. But Matt, I thought we'd close with something lighter today. Uh, did you read that uh, Britain's Prince Harry and Meghan, um, <laughs> the, the royal couple that gets so much attention, 
uh, have given up their royal titles, so they will no longer be known mm. as, quote, royal highnesses. They've surrendered their top titles, and they've also um, surrendered, as a result, uh, some of their income, stepping back from their royal duties. Uh, as you know, they've got a new baby, and uh, they want to split their time between Britain and Canada. And uh, so I thought that was interesting. What do you think about that? I think they should just make the decisions they feel like are most conducive to their own personal happiness and goals and situation in life and it's got to be pretty complicated being a royal <laughs> and I think probably Harry has stepped into a position in life that's rather complicated given some of his past family history and some of the current events going on with the royals and so I can't hardly blame him for not wanting to be a part of uh, that whole deal and maybe strike it out on his own I can certainly empathize with that. But I, I will say this, I, I, as an American, you know, red-blooded American, you think about the Royals and King George and the Boston Tea Party, I, I'm just, I've never been a fan right. of, of the Royals, uh, and I don't like the concepts of monarchy and inherited titles. Uh, it's, uh, you know, as an American, I think we should sort of gag about that a little bit. So any conversation about the Royals, I think, is, is gonna be limited by those uh, boundaries. But, uh, but that said, it, you, it's human means... nature to be interested in this, you know, and the, the Meghan Markle thing is one where I find her to be a, a rather uh, repellent individual massively, at least, you know, if the media that I filter and see, I don't know her, but my perception of her is, is that she, she's monumentally self-absorbed and uh, she um, has delved into politics a little bit. She's been said some uh, rather harsh things about uh, Donald Trump. And she's even saying that they don't want to live in America until Donald Trump's out of office. Now, why is that selfish? You can have that opinion, but she is a royal now. I mean, there are obligations with that. And there is a long history between America and between Britain that goes back a long ways. And if you want to just throw that aside because you're just piqued personally about who's the president right now, when there's a history, I mean, you know, going back to think World War II, for example, World War I, for example, um, where we got closer, going back to the founding era when we were like a little bit more at odds, you might say. And to some, some, you know, young person shows up who's a Hollywood person and say, yeah, well, you know, screw America, screw Trump and all that, and overlook all of that history and the significant geopolitical stuff that goes on in foreign affairs and relations, and you have to, there's a lot of, there's a lot of matters at stake beyond just like Megan's like uh, mm, opinions on stuff or uh, personal uh, quirks. I think I think that is a pretty incredible bunch of smallness. And Piers Morgan over in England is always saying, "Well, Megan Margle shows up and she separated Prince Harry from his country, from his military, and from his family, and." Um, She's a manipulator. That's oh, what wow. she. That's what he says. This is like a Yoko Ono uh, and, argument here. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care enough about it to even like. But but I think that it seems like, you know, would you want to have a certain amount of deference to, uh, uh, you know, your an individual you've married into a family and a history and a, and a legacy, and a respect to, um, you know, other nations of the world. I I would think if you were a larger person, you would do that. That's fascinating to me. I'm surprised to, to, I haven't heard her referred to as repellent. Um, yeah. I think that Trump supporters tend to go crazy on anyone who stands up or 
criticizes him. So I, I don't think that's a reasonable. I don't it think it's be reasonable, right? <laughs> I don't think it's reasonable, well, especially Hollywood people, people sure. in the public eye like that. I think there's a tendency among amongst uh, Trump supporters to, to really have this uh, unreasonable distaste for anyone who who has criticized Donald Trump. So, so I'm fascinated to hear that that she would be described that way. And um, it's interesting to hear you say that she's causing, you know, a rift in his family. That's what Piers when, Morgan says. When you, you just mentioned that, you know, as a red-blooded American, and we know that Prince Harry is a bit of a rebel and always has been, right? Mm -hmm. And so for him, it's not surprising at all to me that he would he, that he would say, you know, I don't need the royal, I don't need the royal title, I don't need the royal money, I don't want it. He probably has his own philosophical disagreements with the monarchy the same way you do, uh, judging from his his uh, demeanor, I bet that to be true. And so it seems to me like that is 100% his decision. I would, I would not blame, blame that on his wife. And, uh, but I think both of them probably are willing to, to give up all of that in order to just be, be out of the spotlight a little bit. That is the spotlight. Which is, I, I could not blame them for that. And do I know what their dynamic is and their personal relationship? No, but I was quoting Piers Morgan and that's, that's what he thinks. And he's a Brit and he follows that quite obsessively, so he might know more than I, but I'm just throwing that out there. But I would say for her to be on record as being, you know, as nasty, critical of Donald Trump saying, I, we won't live in America, you know, as a royal, you are setting back relations between America and Britain. But, but, but and they gave the, up their royal title. That's the whole yeah, point but, here. But still, they're, giving, they're no longer still, royals. There's, there's fumes. There's a legacy. There's still a connection. You can't just like you know have a car. No, but you can't just have it chopped off like that. That, that couple has and, a lot of uh, connections with the United States and speaks very highly of the United States. There's a, a lot of love for America from both of them. The fact that they simply criticized your sitting president but should not be a reason they to don't condemn them. That, that's, that's a massive criticism. Well, we're not going to live in L.A. We're not going to try to you know, elevate her Hollywood career from Hollywood. We're going to try to do it from Canada. That, that's a pretty harsh wholesale criticism of Britain's best ally of the last hundred years. And without us, of course, there would be no Britain. I mean, what language would they be speaking there? <laughs> it wouldn't be English. <laughs> and I'm being harsh, and I'm just kind of having fun with it. But the Brits themselves, I think, have been screwing up the special relationship by their involvement in Spygate. You know, look at Richard Dearlove, the former head of MI6. Look at Stefan Halper, one of the Cambridge faculty who were involved in setting up that Steele dossier and setting up the Trump people involved in the spying on Trump, probably, in my view, coordinating with John Brennan of the CIA. They have never come clean on that. And for the Brits, to have been involved in a massive, the biggest spying scandal in history against the American president, um, they're not helping their relationship. <laughs> the special relationship, I think, should be in big jeopardy right now. And it is because of, not because of Trump. He's the victim of that. Okay, Matt, thank you so much. Uh, I really, I really I enjoy still like Churchill, though. <laughs> I do too. We agree on that. Uh, I really enjoy hearing your views and thank you so much for your time. And listeners, please tune in again. Red View, Blue View. You can find us uh, on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, and uh, let us know what you think. Thank you. You bet. Honored to be in here, Shelley. Thanks for having me on board. <laughs>